Hey, before we get into this week's episode of The Culture, just a quick reminder that if you want to stay up to date with the show, you can follow it in your favourite podcast app. Just search for The Culture. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of music, streaming, TV, film and everything in arts and entertainment. In 2018, singer Billie Eilish released her debut album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? With it, the teenager pretty much immediately changed the face and the sound of modern pop music. The album won all four of the major categories at the Grammy Awards that year. That's the first time that happened since 1981. Her hit song Bad Guy took out the top spot on the Hottest 100, making her both the youngest person ever to win the countdown and also the very first solo female artist. Now, Billy's back with her follow-up second record, Happier Than Ever. It's a very different sounding album and it really feels like a response to the immense pressure and scrutiny that she's faced since becoming a pop superstar. To talk about it and the way that Billie Eilish is reshaping the music industry around her, I'm joined on the show by music critic for the Saturday paper, Shard D'Souza. Shard, thanks for joining me on The Culture. Thank you for having me back. Look, I can't wait to talk about the album with you, but before we get into it, let's set the scene a bit. Can you tell me about what the build-up to all of this has been like? I mean, Billie Eilish is one of the biggest and most successful musicians in history already off the back of just one album. The expectation must be huge. I mean, second album for any pop star. It's a, people call it kind of like a crucial time. I don't know how true that is anymore, but I guess kind of like ideologically, spiritually, like second album, especially for someone like Billie, you know, her first album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, came out in 2019. It was huge. She swept the Grammys and became like the second person ever to do that in the big four categories. Massive album, had a number one hit in Bad Guy, and it kind of turned her into this gigantic star. And the thing that I think adds a little to the pressure of Billy as a big pop star is that she kind of became known for being weird, or for for lack of a better term. And the music that she became really popular with was a little bit abrasive. And so there are kind of these like intense sounds uh, in the songs, like there was a very dark tone to it and the aesthetic for the whole record was quite ghoulish and, and weird and, mm. like, she had green hair and she... Very witchy sort of vibes. Yeah, totally. Like, it's this really intense gothic kind of, like, very macabre teen thing. And so if you were Billy, you'd be very stressed out about this idea that you had been typecast because it's pretty interesting. You listen to the album and, of course, you hear all this kind of, like, macabre affect, but, like... The songwriting itself is not that mm. necessarily mm. untraditional. All the big moments on the record, like a song like When the Party's Over, which is like, I still believe is probably kind of like her best song. Mm. Call me friend, but keep me closer. And 
And so then, over the past couple of years, she's been releasing kind of increasingly low-key singles. So the rollout for this album, so this album came out on July 30th. The first single from it came out on July 30th, 2020. So it's been a year of build, or what we might call like anti-build, mm. because she's the singles are so low-key. And so obviously, immediately, anyone kind of a little bit keyed in is like something has changed or something will change. And in between her first album and this one, she also recorded the theme to the upcoming James Bond film No Time to Die. I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's no Skyfall, the one by Adele, which is, I think, the best Bond theme ever, but it's pretty incredible for someone her age to have that kind of feather in her cap. Um, Okay, first, I would say so many significant needle-pushing pop stars have been teenagers. So that's like Lord specifically. Royals really kind of like changed the way hmm. Top 40 Pop sounded. Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights came out when she was 16. Odd Future, Tyler was 16 or 17. Swallow the cinnamon, I'ma scribble this shit and shit while Sid is telling me that she's been getting intimate with men. Sid, shut the fuck up. the number to my therapist. You tell him all your problems, he's fucking awesome with listening. Taylor Swift, to a lesser degree, didn't really change things aesthetically, but, you know, a very significant artist and so many more examples. But I think Billy is an interesting case and always has been. Because if you're looking for it, you could see in Billy either someone incredibly radical and transgressive, or you could see someone incredibly traditionalist. Mm. And both sides exist in her, but people seem kind of like hard pressed to take in both at the same time. Yeah, it's polarizing, not in that people love her or hate her, but just in what people find in her, and so. On one hand, you're like, oh, my God, this girl with, like, these crazy nails and this green hair, like, she won all the Grammys and did a James Bond theme. And then on the other hand, you're like, the way she sings has so much vibrato and is so kind of, like, quote-unquote soulful or quote-unquote jazzy. Um, She sings really traditional ballads and her music is really sedate. And then, of course, you have the fact that she is a young white woman. And, like, that's kind of the oldest pop star archetype in the book. And so, you know, she had this kind of quite crazy look and, like, these crazy aesthetics, like, you know, bleeding from her eyes in her music Mm. videos and stuff. But, like, it's not really any degree removed from the realm of, like, what the pop industry likes to grab hold of. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because if you were being extremely cynical... And sometimes I do feel this way. You could be like, Billy is the natural representation of the music industry finding its footing in a landscape that was about to be dominated by these macabre kind of like SoundCloud rappers and that kind of thing. And Billy is the natural embodiment of how the industry would co-opt something like that. And I don't think that's necessarily 100% true, but I think she is a great vessel for establishment figures to kind of like feel zeitgeisty while still sticking entirely with what they know. 
That's a really fantastic framing. One of Billy's first songs to blow up was Ocean Eyes, which she dropped back in 2016. I wonder if you can just fill in the blanks for us a little bit. How does she go from releasing that one track back on SoundCloud to then releasing the biggest record in the world just a couple of years later? What what happened in between? She released this song, Ocean Eyes, that she produced and recorded with her brother Phineas. He's a very important figure in this. They make all their music together. She's never worked with an outside producer. It blows up on SoundCloud, and then she releases an EP. It's called Don't Smile At Me, and that has a a bunch of okay tracks. That's probably the kind of, like, weakest part of her oeuvre. She's very much finding her footing then. And, like, I remember a lot of the songs on Don't Smile At Me are kind of, like, buskery. Like, this song, Bellyache, it's built around this kind of, like, acoustic guitar riff and, like, some synths, and I was very, like... Ugh, like, it's, it's, it just wasn't nice to me. And then... Um, when we all fall asleep, where do we go? I I don't like love that record, but I think it's really some of it's really good. And she is someone who like we will get to this when we talk about happier than ever because I think it's like a market improvement on the other one, um, which is kind of saying something. But like, I think you can really see her evolution as a songwriter, as a melody writer. But the process was very natural and felt good and satisfying. Whereas before, you know, I was always felt under pressure and anxious and felt like I wasn't doing enough, you know, right or doing a good job or, you know, this isn't good enough. And I felt like I wasn't very talented also at the time. And I actually feel much more confident in my craft now. And I feel that I've worked. But yeah, I think she is someone who keeps getting better and better and better. We'll be back after a short break. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. So since that record came out, this one of the key discussion points around Billy is the immense pressure that has resulted from the fame, the having a massively successful album, a sold-out global tour, being in the public eye so often as a teenager. We've seen it before, but we were seeing it in real time again with Billy. I don't want to be too dark, but I genuinely didn't think I would like make it to like 17 you didn't think you'd make it to 17 no but did you think that you would do something to yourself yeah you did Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think about this one time I was in Berlin and I was alone in my hotel. And I remember there was like a window right there. And I like, God, I remember crying because the way that I was going to die was I was going to do it. She's been quite vocal and upfront about the way that that has impacted her. I mean, I, um, I'm just you know, an idiot with a podcast. And when I go on Twitter, I find it very overwhelming and stressful. She's talked a lot about even her fans, who she says want to support her and, and, and show their love for her, the way that they interact with her, the way that she's constantly picked apart and scrutinized is something that has really changed the way she thinks about the world and her art. Can you talk me through some of the things she's told us about that? I personally think it's unethical for industry machinations to make teenagers Hmm. so incredibly famous. Hmm. And, like, obviously you can choose to be that famous when you're young or whatever, but, like, it makes me extremely depressed and I think it should be illegal for people so young to be famous and I think it should be... I think there should be some equivalent to child labour laws around, Hmm. like, exploiting young people for their art. And there's also a spectrum, right? It doesn't mean that they might not... If someone's a 17-year-old girl and wants to make a record... That doesn't need to necessarily mean you need to also have this kind of intense public persona or social media presence where you are constantly available putting yourself out to the world. It doesn't need to be everything, right? Exactly. And for Billy, it's compounded because she was kind of an Instagram celebrity first, a musician second for a period of time. Um, she was known for like wearing these crazy outfits and, and for having this really striking look. And her username, where the avocados, it's like, you know, it was very that kind of like influencer vibe. Yeah. But it makes me really sad. And again, we can talk about this when we get into the album because the album is very deeply sad. But like it never feels anything other than quite wrong to me that there are teams of like grown adults whose job it is to make these kids the most famous people in the world. Mm. I mean, we live in this, like, cult of celebrity that obviously has something to do with it. Like, people are desperate for, like, idols and icons and stuff. But, like, in a perfect world, I don't think anyone would be that famous. And I don't think anyone would be kind of, like, thrust into fame so fast Mm. if they did have to be that famous. Like, being a teenager is already the most horrifying thing. And then she has, like, people scrutinizing her body and, like, picking apart her day-to-day choices and that kind of thing. And she's kind of opened up in interviews around this album about how, yeah, horrifying that all is. And the album is very much about that as well. Can you talk to me about her her monologue, which is a bit of a response to a lot of this? Yeah, so during the last tour, there would be a section of the tour where there would be a video on screen of her kind of undressing and then over the top there's a spoken word monologue um, where she kind of talks about how people are constantly scrutinising her and, like, uh, it ends with her saying, like, is that my responsibility? Like, what other people think of me? Some people hate what I wear. Some people praise it. Some people use it to shame others. Some people use it to shame me. It is the kind of centerpiece of this record. But I feel you watching. Always. And nothing I do goes unseen. 
it is a very powerful indictment of how much stress and pressure is put upon her. In the immediate lead-up to this new album, Happier Than Ever, we saw Billie reveal a new look. She did these cover shoots for Vogue where she was going for what seemed like a kind of 1950s Hollywood aesthetic. It was pretty different from what we'd seen before. It seemed like a pretty significant and deliberate attempt to change her public image. Yeah, in her Vogue cover story, she styled herself in Burberry corsets and she styled it herself and it was like... The cover story written by Laura Snapes was kind of like all about her struggles with body image and and very much like, I'm doing this shoot because I feel empowered to do it. I want to wear these corsets because people will get mad at me and like, I don't give a shit because it's Mm. my body. Yeah, obviously she used to wear these really baggy clothes and then she kind of stopped and then people would use the paparazzi photos of her as these kind of like ideological weapons, for lack of a better Mm. term. And she kind of made it clear that she didn't want to be an advocate for anything and she didn't want to be an example of anything bad or good. Like, she just wanted to be a person, as everyone does. And even from the moment that we saw that kind of changed visual aesthetic of Billy, it seemed like the new record was going to be quite different to the first one. The idea of a, a gothy, witchy sound didn't quite seem like what we were going to get this time. But I have to say, even knowing that and even that being flagged by her through the release of some of the singles, I've been pretty surprised by how different this sounds. You you spoke at the start of this chat chart about the kind of is Billy a progressive radical artist in terms of redefining what pop sounds like or is she a traditionalist? Is she a return to something that has defined a pop for so long? I think that's such an interesting and important framing for it. When I think when when I was listening to this record, you and I were messaging a little bit, and I said first track. I was one or two tracks, and I'm like, kind of adult contemporary Regina Spector sort of vibes. And you're like, I think it's more Nora Jones, and I think that's right. And to me, it is a little bit weird and so surprising that we're talking about Billie Eilish's second record, and we're talking about terms like adult contemporary Nora Jones. Um, and it does fit in with that aesthetic, that kind of visual rebrand as well. But it feels like a hard turn. Talk to me about how you feel listening to the album, your immediate reactions. Okay, do you want to first? Do you want to get my galaxy brain take on it? Absolutely. Let's so go. maybe this is me getting kind of a bit conspiracy theorist. But obviously, first album, Billy, she looks crazy and cool and weird, but is making traditional music. It's a kind of sheep in wolf's clothing. Mm. Um, for the music industry to be able to capitalise on abrasive and transgressive sounds without it being very abrasive and transgressive. If you were Billie Eilish, you hated the fact that you were potentially being made into kind of like a scapegoat or a tool for something that you didn't necessarily connect with. You hated the fact that people were always kind of like telling you what to do or that people had expectations of you. In many ways, the most rebellious thing you could do would be to do a complete about-face and lean into this archetypal role as, like, a very traditional, normal pop star. And so the most normal thing you could do would be to bleach your hair back to to blonde, no matter how intense the process was. And I think she earnestly really likes this music. She's name-checked people like Julie London and Frank Sinatra, which is, like, really Mm. crazy. Like, I didn't... (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't really know that people like listened to that music. I wanted to make a very 
timeless record that wasn't just timeless in terms of what other people thought, but really just timeless for myself. And, you know, I gathered a lot of inspiration from a lot of older artists that I grew up loving and, you know, mostly Julie London and a lot of Frank Sinatra and Peggy Lee. And then the songs in the album are all over the place and um, very, I think, versatile. Like, I think she genuinely wanted that. But also there's something almost kind of like trollish and very cool and very genuinely rebellious about not giving in to this idea that you were a vessel to sell something back to the kids, you know? Mm. It's so much harder to position this record as like something trendy or or like a commodification of any kind of trend or aesthetic because it's so like, what? Like, why? Yeah, so my my kind of galaxy brain, my instinct is that she's very consciously stepping into this role that only she can call the shots on. And of course, we know that her and Phineas only made that music together. Like, I doubt much label meddling happens. Mm. But like, it would be very easy to feel like to a point you were just doing what other people wanted you to, and you liked it. Yeah, I think there's some evidence for that. Like, Billy says very upfront that she doesn't think about singles or hits and she kind of doesn't like that. She has to pick them because she just makes music and what she thinks works is often not what resonates. I think a lot of artists say that. Very few artists are like, this is the song that I want to be a huge hit, especially when they're about to drop an album and they want everyone to listen to the album. But the tracks that have been released as singles so far, none of them feel anywhere near as sort of breakthrough or as you know huge as a song like Bad Guy, for example. But the album, when you listen to it in totality does feel quite coherent. It does feel like there's a a specific project there. Talk to me a bit more about how you felt, because you're right, it it is disarming and a bit disconcerting when you first put it on. You're like, all right, we're doing something very different here. That's certainly how I felt. But tell me about your reactions. Yeah. So I really liked the singles. I love My Future, which is the first one that came out a year ago. I love Lost Cause, which is this kind of like R&B, like it's kind of like a kiss off track, but she's still singing really quietly. But yeah, my instinct uh, is that I really like it. And I think her sense for melody is so strong here and so incredible. I think the lyrics are really beautiful. It's really sad. Like, Mm. I find it pretty hard to listen to because it is so sad. And this first song, Getting Older, where she sings about how she hates making music Mm. now. Things I once enjoyed Just keep me employed now Things I'm longing It's just like what people expect of her. It used to be a fun thing and now it's just a job that she doesn't like. Yeah. I really like it. 
I would remove a, anywhere between four and six songs. It is really long. It's 16 tracks and some of them it's are like long tracks hour. as well. Yeah. It is an hour of music. I mean, it's like listening to it, I was like, oh my God, this is... And like, I don't mind records being that long. I mean, Oz, you and I are both big fans of the band Vampire Weekend. We are, um, we They are. released an hour and six minute album called Father of the Bride, but it's like that's such a grab bag and you can kind of just like go in anywhere and there's big peaks and valleys and you can hmm. tune out. And then this is this 16-track, 56-minute record where nearly every line counts. Like there are lots of production choices that, you know, really lend themselves to kind of headphones and stuff. It's all really low-key. It's all really down and it feels pretty like intense to get through. And so my my instinct would actually be that all the kind of like bangery tracks, mm. all the ones that Hugh kind of closest to bury a friend or bad guy, they're the ones I would probably cut. Mm. So I would probably ditch. Sorry, I'm just tell me, tell me, tell me what you cut. I love this. So I ditch oxytocin, which is when I see a lot of people talking about. But you're right, that's the one people are talking about because they're talking about it as this is the closest to a breakthrough hit yeah. that people who like Billy want. I ditch oxytocin, I ditch Goldwing, I ditch uh, I ditch not my responsibility. And the reason for that, so that's the um, monologue that was in the live show, and I think it's one of those things that works amazingly in a live show and in the album. The album is so nuanced mm. and so amazingly written, and I find it so um, like intimate, like in terms of her outlook or whatever, that Not My Responsibility, I find, actually comes across more ham-fisted than anything else on the record. And, like, I think she says everything she says in that song in a much more subtle and interesting way elsewhere. So I get rid of that. I get rid of Overheated. I I love this kind of review where we just list the tracks that we want to cut. This is great. There should be a new thing that we do. Yeah, yeah, I get rid of Overheated (laughs) and I get rid of NDA and Therefore I Am. So <laughs> that's a, what are you what are you left with? I think that's about six songs. So right, we're left right. with the ten very sedate songs, apart from Happier Than Ever. You call me again, drunk in your bends, driving home under the influence. And so I think what what happens in this ten song version of the album is that you have very mid highs until the end when you have this fucking rager track. And I- Which my instinct was that I was like, I'm I'm done with this 90s rock thing. Hmm. Um, we both listened to the Olivia Rodrigo yeah, album. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that, <laughs> bringing back the pop punk sort of vibe. Yeah, But I like it if the album was shorter and it built to this psychotic peak where she just screams. Like, I love it. But in general, I think 
song to song, apart from probably like NDA and Overheated and Oxytocin, which I think are underwritten in a sense, I think it's like beautifully written. I think she's gotten so, so good. I love how low key it is. She's found better context for her voice, which I I was was reading my review of the first one for the paper yesterday and I was like, this is a really random review, but like I don't not agree. Like <laughs> I was like, it, she sounds really anonymous when she uses this soulful affectation, but here she obviously wants to do that more, and has written melodies that suit it more, and is working with production that suits it more. I mean, I agree with you that it's long. I hadn't quite and got to the point of which ones I want to cut. Some of the ones that <laughs> you want to cut, I would probably want to keep. But all of that said. I think you're right in the sense that by the time you get to the end of this album, you are kind of exhausted. You kind of have had the same, you've been on the same level for a very, very long time. And then you get to the second last track, which is Happy Than Ever, which is the longest track. It's just under five minutes long. And the second half of that track in particular is this huge, you know, boost. The energy levels just go up. There's that kind of distorted guitar. There's her screaming. And you're kind of like, you sort of wake up a little bit then. You're like, all right, let's do this again. And then, you oh, I don't really want to go through 14 tracks again before I get to this one. So I think you're right in terms of how maybe some choices and some more confidence almost in being able to say, I'm disconnecting from that sound that you expect and want, even though a lot of the album is doing that and just saying, here's a tight project that is different. It's what I want to be now. It's vulnerable. The music writing is tight. It's melodic. And you can just listen to it, you know, five times in a row and it's going to be a great time. My other thing is, like, even though it's so low-key, I find it really fun when she does experiment within the confines of that. And so, like, I didn't change my number. I didn't change my number. I only changed who I replied to. Laura said I should be nicer. But not to you. I love mm, like that mm. kind of like hotline bling, yep, yep, yep. kind of like organ loop or whatever. And like the the way she's kind of like telling this guy like, oh, all my friends told you you were shit and like I should have believed them. Um, Billy Bossa Nova, I also really like, which is she's she I saw in like the Spotify notes that it's kind of this like fantasy of just like meeting up with someone in a hotel and stuff and like. I think that the writing on that is really interesting and, like, really vivid. Um, Like Lost Cause, which is obviously that kind of, like, really stripped-back R&B one that's, like, anthemic but not anthemic. Like, I think that song's incredible. When it's not quite morose, it's, like, really fun. And, like, the fact that it's low-key doesn't prohibit it. If anything, it has more... It's more dynamic than the first one emotionally and kind of stylistically even though it is quiet and weird you know mm-hmm. and it, and yeah and the end is obviously much heavier than the start we'll be back after this break With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. 
Let's talk about some of the themes that she's talking about or singing about on the record. Uh, you mentioned the um, the British Vogue cover. She also did a cover feature for Vogue Australia with friend of the pod, Brody Lancaster. Former neighbor, um, queen. Uh, <laughs> In the interview, she, she talked about how much her guard had been up over the last couple of years and how she was wanting to use this album as a way, or she's using this album as a way, I think, to let her guard down a bit. And it's really interesting because the tracks that you've been talking about and some of the best tracks are her talking about relationships and breakups. And that's something that I did not see coming. It wasn't something that was part of a public or social media narrative of Billy. When I listened, I was surprised that it was a breakup album. I mean, I would say I'm pretty kind of keyed into what's up with Billy, but I didn't watch the documentary because the runtime kind of scared me off. Uh, it's like two and a half hours or three hours or something. She like I knew she had kind of been alluding to having dated people and stuff like that, but I was, yeah, really surprised. And yeah, a lot of the best songs on the on the record are like breakup breakup songs, like Happier Than Ever, um, I Didn't Change My Number, like Lost Cause are all really kind mm. of like um, sassy and weird and like I feel like she strikes a really good balance between kind of like woundedness and defensiveness and kind of like aggression like it feels really truthful Mm -hmm. I mean what's so interesting about Billy is that to some degree she's kind of a cipher Mm. and like because she's been famous since kind of the start I feel like the guards were already up Mm. for her to have at least some level of privacy and obviously that kind of worked and didn't work but like yeah I, I don't know I feel like even though people know a lot about her She's not one of those people whose life is kind of like narrativized in the public realm, Hmm. you know, not in the same way that kind of like Taylor Swift's was or like, I don't know, pretty much any pop stars is or like any rappers is, you know. And so, yeah, that's the other thing about this record is that like, I think for the first time in a long time listening to a big budget pop record, I don't feel like this is commentary on the media narrative of her life. I feel like it is like a genuine document of her life, which is kind of a remarkable thing to hear in a pop record, to be really honest. And you mentioned this idea that, you know, the music is produced and written by her and her brother Phineas together. And you suggest that perhaps you know, there's not a lot of label involvement in that. And I think that also checks out. I think it makes sense. She's able to just make the music that she wants to make because she's locked in a studio with her brother. Uh, Phineas produced all of this record as he did the first record. What do you think about the decision to do that? Do you think it's it's a safe choice? Would you like to see her work with some other producers? Do you think that might elicit something more exciting than what we're getting from Billy at the moment? Uh it depends on your definition of exciting. I don't really know what another hit from her would look like. And because she's only ever worked with Phineas, it's kind of hard to say and it's impossible to know what music with other people would sound like. My instinct would be that, like, if they work well together, why not just work together? Because really what we're seeing here is that Phineas doesn't necessarily have any kind of like production quirks in the same way that we know someone like Jack Antonoff does. 
And like Billy very clearly. Thank God there is one pop star right now who is not working with Jack Antonoff. I know that you're pro Jack Antonoff. I'm, I'm largely... not pro Jack Antonoff. Oh, you? oh I thought you maybe I'm confusing you with someone else. Yeah. You definitely <laughs> are. The amount of shit I've talked on that guy. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I like it feels like it would be much of a muchness for her to work with someone else because it's like if your songwriting obviously is naturally evolving, you obviously can naturally do it yourself. Your brother is an in-house producer who can do any style that you want. It seems like it would just be pretty arbitrary and more kind of like for the narrative than anything to for her to work with. Like, I don't even know who apart from Jack Antonoff would be the right producer for her to work with. Hmm. Um, I was actually on the way here, I was kind of trying to think about who in kind of like a dream pairing I would put her with. And I don't think there's anyone that really jumps out in the same way that, like, I have, like, a laundry list of people I would love Taylor Swift to work with. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, I have no idea what will happen next, which is kind of an exciting way to feel. I mean, it's a great way to feel. If the fact that we can get things that are so different from someone like her at this stage, I'm excited to see what the next thing is. It could be more like this. It could be something totally different as well. Yeah, I feel like it's really hard to say where she's going to go next and, like, you know, considering what a rough go of it she's had, I think that's probably a really good thing and I hope she gets to take a lot of time off. Shad Tizza, what a great way to leave it. Thanks so much for chatting to me on The Culture today. Thank you for having me. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.